Thank you and be seated. Take God's word and find the book of Acts. The book of Acts in chapter 12. We're continuing through the book of Acts and today I want to talk to you about prayer. Not just now I lay me down to sleep prayer. Not just God is great, God is good, let us thank him for the food kind of prayer. I want to talk to you today about powerful prayer. Uh, impactful prayer. Prayer that makes a difference. Under the topic, people pray. Now we could say, well, people pray, yes. Or is it more of a command? People pray. And I want us to take uh, the latter meaning of the title today, people pray um, to heart. And as you read the book of Acts, you know, there is the shout of victory upon every page. These people knew how to pray. And I believe that their lives were saturated with prayer. And God gave the victory. Now compare that with the average Christian today. Compare that with the average church today. Compare that with uh, Christendom as a whole today. We are failing in our battle against the world, against the devil, against the flesh. And the reason that we fail is primarily we do not pray. Or primarily we do not know how to pray. There's not a failure in your life or in my life that is not ultimately a prayer failure if you properly analyze it. There is not a need in my life or your life that cannot be met but by prayer. And there's not a sin in your life or my life uh, that proper prayer would not help us to avoid in the first place. Well, as Jesus said, watch and pray. Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. How important it is that we all learn to pray. The 12th chapter of the book of Acts has a wonderful lesson on prayer. We're going to mainly pick apart verse 5, but I want us to read right now chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. About that time, King Herod violently attacked some who belonged to the church. And then he executed James, John's brother, with the sword. And when he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter too during the festival of unleavened bread. And after the arrest, he put him in prison and assigned four squads of four soldiers each to guard him, intending to bring him out to the people after the Passover. That's probably Easter. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was praying fervently to God for him. When Herod was about to bring him out for trial, that very night, Peter, bound with two chains, was sleeping between two soldiers, while the sentries in the, in the front of the door guarded the prison. And suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in his cell. And striking Peter on the side, he woke him up and said, Quick, get up. And the chains fell off of his wrists. And he said, Get dressed. And the angel said, Put on your sandals. And he did. not said, Wrap your cloak around you, he told, he told him, and follow me. So he went out and followed, and he did not know 
uh, what, that, what the angel did was really happening. He thought he was still in a dream state or, or just seeing a vision. And after they passed the first and second guards, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened to them by itself. And they were outside and passed one street, and suddenly the angel left him. And when Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's grasp and from all that the Jewish people expected. And what did the Jewish people expect? They expected him to be uh, executed that very next day. Now, there are six things, real quick, I want you to learn about victorious prayer. And the very first thing that the early church teaches us is to pray freely. We're to pray freely. The Bible says in verse 5 that the church was praying for Peter. Now, you can imagine how hopeless it must have been for Peter. You remember back in Acts chapter 5, Peter and John were in jail, and um, by the help of an angel, they escaped, and they, they kind of saw Peter as an escape artist of sorts. And they, they're not going to take any chances here. He, he's in a deep, secure dungeon, a maximum security prison, not like Formerly the, you know, the jail that they just kind of walked out of with the help of an angel. No, he's, he's in a maximum security place. He's such an important person that they post 16 guards around him. Furthermore, they, they want to make so certain that he doesn't escape that he is chained on both arms to soldiers on both sides of him. Now, they're going to put him to death. Murderous Herod had already killed the, the uh, brother of John, he, James, the disciple. And he saw that that gained so much popularity amongst the people uh, with the enemies uh, of God uh, that he decided, hey, I might as well do the same thing to Peter. Uh, he's very popular with them. I'll put him to death. They'll love me for it. And he announced the day that Peter was to be executed, announced it to the people. And I think probably, probably because it was just past Passover, he's probably thinking to himself, what better day than their, than their Sunday, than their Easter Sunday? And I, you know, that's just speculation. But wouldn't that be appropriate? Now, what are these disciples going to do? What are all the believers who are praying for people? What, what are they going to do to try to get him released? I mean, how are they going to get him out of prison? Are they going to organize a mob, <laughs> this small, motley crew? Are, are they just going to, going to storm the prison or something? Or are they going to sign a petition? Uh, we, we've signed this petition, Herod, to get you recalled and Peter freed. <laughs> I don't think so. They were not influential citizens by any stretch of the imagination. What are they going to take up a collection and, and bribe Herod? Well, they didn't have a lot of money. In fact, they didn't have any money. Silver and gold have I none. And everything they did collect, they used it to help one another and those who were in need. What were they going to do? Well, I tell you what they were going to do. They were going to pray. Now, the intellectuals of that time, they, they would just sneer and laugh at those early believers. They're down on their knees. 
And I'll tell you one person, though, who didn't scoff. And it was the devil. He wasn't laughing. It has well been said that Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees. Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his or her knees. There is freedom to pray. Every other door was closed, but there was one that opened. It didn't go out, it went up. Now, friend, the devil may do many things to inhibit you, but there's one thing he cannot do. He cannot stop you from praying. I mean, there may be iron doors all around you. There may be chains all over you. you. There, There may be people set up against you, but you can pray. They say, you know, God's been taken out of our schools. Our kids can't pray in schools anymore. No, no, no. You can pray anywhere, in a classroom, in a boardroom. You can pray on a ball field. You can pray up in the stands, not just for your team. (laughs) But we have the freedom. Yeah, you can pray at church. But we have the freedom to pray. So church, pray freely. Prayer was made, it says in verse 5. Prayer should not be our last resort. It ought to be our first thought. It ought to be our first opportunity. You can pray freely. But secondly, you can pray constantly. You might be thinking, I don't want to pray constantly. You can have an attitude of prayer without actually uttering words. Again, verse 5, Peter, therefore, was kept in prison This is the King James Version. But prayer was made without ceasing of the church to God for him. It says prayer without ceasing. They prayed and they prayed. And guess what then? They prayed some more. They did not stop praying. They didn't quit. They didn't give up. Do you know what our main problem is with prayer? We have a take it or leave it kind of attitude. We ask God to do something for us, and and God doesn't seem to answer us right away. We just stop praying. Well, Lord, I prayed for Yeah, just once, but, you know, that should have been enough. But the early church did not stop praying. They they kept praying. They prayed until they moved God's hand or... God just said flat out, no. I, you know, he said to Paul, I don't want you to go in this direction. Paul, I want you to go in that direction. God, thank you for clarifying. Now, I know God doesn't always answer our prayer so immediately. And, and prayer is indeed a mystery. But I'll tell you this much about it. Our God says we are to keep on The Lord Jesus gave us a a very special parable in Luke chapter 18. He says, now, or it says of him, now he told them a parable on the need for them to pray always and to not give up. That means not not to stop praying. Galatians 6, 9, let us not get tired of doing good. Is it good to pray? 
Oh my, yes. James said, let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And in the Greek language, it literally is saying, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. They did not give up on Peter because they did not give up on prayer. They prayed faithfully. That is, they prayed without ceasing. The constancy of their prayer. It's amazing. And the early church encourages us to pray a third thing. Encourages us to pray fervently. Pray fervently. I want you to notice the fervency of their prayers. In Acts chapter 12, verse 5, so Peter was kept in prison, but the church was praying fervently to God for him. They prayed with intensity. They prayed with, with what, in a word, fire in their belly. We pray, I'm afraid, with such casualness, with half-heartedness. Half-heartedness is an insult to God. The Bible says, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with your whole heart. These people prayed fervently. The book of Hebrews speaks of how the Lord Jesus prayed. Hebrews 5, 7 says, during his earthly life, he offered prayers and appeals with loud cries and tears. Man, when's the last time any of us could say that we prayed with cries and tears? When our Lord Jesus prayed in the Garden of, of Gethsemane, so intense was his prayer that pers the perspiration became as sweat drops. The, the capillaries in his forehead burst and blood came down his brow. He was in such intensity as he prayed. May I say this? Prayer is hard work. It just is. That's the reason that many of us don't pray. It requires real concentration. It requires effort. It's harder to pray than it is to preach. It's harder to pray than it is to study. It's harder to pray than it is to sing. It's harder to pray than to do almost anything because prayer is work. I'll say something else. Prayer is warfare, isn't it? Prayer is warfare. When you pray, you enter in spiritual warfare. You enter into the heavenlies, and the devil will oppose you when you are praying. Now, the devil doesn't mind anything else we do as long as we leave out prayer. He doesn't mind all the stuff that goes on, the preaching, the singing, the worship, the programs. As, as long as we don't pray, we're okay. He'll say, go ahead and have your worship. Go ahead and sing your songs. Go ahead and have your sermons. Go ahead and have your go, grow groups. Go ahead and have your fellowship. Go ahead and do all of this as long as you just leave out prayer. And we go, you know, not that we're talking to the devil, but we're thinking, 
Prayer is hard work, and I don't feel like praying anyway. I'd rather do all these other things than the devil goes. That's fine. That's fine. <coughs> the devil sneers <laughs> at our programs. Oh, he laughs at our personalities, but he fears our prayers. And that's the reason that when you go to pray, you're going to feel opposition. The flesh doesn't want to pray. The Bible says the carnal mind is hostile to God. And there's that old nature that just doesn't want to pray. And not only do you have that inward predisposition against prayer in your flesh, but you have this outward opposition against prayer. The devil's going to come in and cause your mind to wander. The doorbell's going to ring. The dinner's going to burn. The baby will cry. It doesn't matter what will happen. Something will happen to keep you from praying. Why? <laughs> because it is warfare. Warfare. Paul said in Romans chapter 15, verse 30, Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, through our Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in our prayers to God on my behalf. Notice the word strive together. Strive together. That's a word really that means to labor. One version says struggle with me in our prayer. Struggle in our prayers. We need to learn how to pray fervently with passion. And I want to tell you, God knows when you mean business with him. I mean, when you pray fervently, it tells him, Lord, I mean business today. And I want to tell you one more time, God does business with those that mean business. He, he does business with those that mean business. Again, Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 13, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. I mean, we might put in there, when you search for me fervently, passionately. And there have been times, look, I'll tell you, when I don't want to pray. Don't look so pious. You know you've been there too. And, and, and I'll tell you that when that time comes, and I don't, I don't feel like praying, that's the time I better pray. And that's the time you better pray when you don't feel like it. And when you pray when you feel like it, you pray when you don't feel like it, and you pray until you do feel like it. I have found that sometimes my carnal flesh just doesn't want to pray. And I might make a, an announcement. I may, I may say, God, I don't feel like praying. But I know you want me to pray. And I'm going to pray. And, and, and let me say, um, you know, when that happens and I speak to God in that way, I start to want to pray. The more I'm praying, the more I pray. And let me say this, you know, there's something about a rote, memorized prayer or an habitual prayer that we just need to avoid. Jesus said, Matthew chapter 6, verse 7, and when you pray, do not use 
vain repetitions, as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. I mean, we need to pray with a fervency to mean business with God, to strive together in our prayers. Listen, they were free to pray. They could pray. They could pray. That was really the only option offered to them, but they did it. And they were faithful to pray. They prayed without ceasing, ceasing, and they prayed with fervency. They did business with God because they were desperate. Because they were so desperate. In a matter of hours, Peter was going to be executed. But fourthly, the early church also teaches us to pray faithfully. Pray faithfully. <laughs> the Bible says that their prayers were made to God. So Peter was kept in prison, Acts 12, 5, was kept in prison, but the church was praying fervently to God for him. This was the faith of their prayer. They weren't praying to impress one another. They realized that they were coming into the throne room of God and that they were addressing God. And when we come into the throne room of the sovereign of the universe, how thoughtlessly, how carelessly, how, how flippantly, I'm afraid some of us, at least at times, just come into the kind of saunter in to the throne room of the creator of the universe. These early believers prayed for Peter, but they prayed to God. Now, what I'm going to say now is such a biblical truth. I could say it right now, and you would say, yeah, Pastor, everybody knows that. But I, I want you to think for a moment how impactful, if you'll give some thought to this phrase that I'm going to tell you, how much it can affect your prayer life. It is, it is such a, I would just about almost call it trite because it's so familiar. It's a, just a familiar phrase in Christendom. Are you ready for it? Get, get ready because as soon, as soon as I say it, you're going to brush it off. What's the next, Pastor? All right, ready? God answers prayer. I thought about that this week. My soul. I mean, is that true? That the one who made the universe, the God of all eternities, will hear me, will hear you, that I can have some influence in his court? Me, he'll hear me, he'll, he'll hear you. I can pray, and he will hear me, and eventually answer me. And he's the one who said in Jeremiah 33, 3, call to me and I will answer. I will answer you and tell you great and incomprehensible things that you do not know. What a thought that we can have the privilege to go in and not just talk to God, but hear from God. Now, folks, listen. If that's not true, that God answers prayer. Why don't we just all quit playing games and just go home and call it a day? But if it is true, and it is true, then we'd better learn how to pray like these early Christians did. Amen? We need to learn how to pray. I mean, we can have an audience with the king of kings. So Peter 
was kept in prison, but the church was praying fervently to God for him. That's the faith of their prayer. Fifth, the early church taught us, teaches us. They were praying for Peter. What are we praying for? We need to pray focused. We need to pray focused. Verse 5 again in chapter 12 of Acts. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was praying fervently to God for him. Whom? Peter. He's in prison. He's going to be beheaded very soon. We need to pray for him. God, we pray for Peter. Who's in prison? Focused prayer. A very specific prayer. And many of us pray such generalized prayer that we never have to uh, admit or we never have to acknowledge whether God heard our prayer or not. Lord, save the lost. Lord, bless the sick. Lord, Comfort the bereaved. Somewhere, somehow, somebody who's been lost is going to get saved. And somebody that's been sick is going to get well. And we will have no knowledge or no understanding whether our prayer had any impact whatsoever. He says it's kind of a safe prayer. But we need specific prayers so we can acknowledge whether God has come to us and answered our prayer. And then we just need to keep on praying until God does answer. The average person, if you ask him what he prayed for yesterday, couldn't tell you. But when you get concerned, and you can tell when a person is concerned, they really mean business. They get specific. Oh, God, my neighbor needs you so much. My brother is far from you, God. I'm praying that you, you bring him back. Or whatever the prayer may be. I lay it now before you. I lay this request at your feet, and I'm going to come to you, Father, every day and bug you with it. I'm going to annoy you. I'm going to harass you, God, until you answer my prayer. God hears that kind of prayer. We're praying. We need to pray specifically. That's what it means to pray, focus. And then finally, finally, this is the there are some other things we could draw out of this passage, but I want you to notice that the early Christians, the early church teaches us to pray expectantly. Pray expectantly. What happened? Well, God answered them. God delivered Peter from prison. <laughs> now Peter's there in prison and he's asleep. I wonder how many of us here would be sleeping the night before our execution. And he's uh, even has to be very uncomfortable. He, he's chained on one side to a soldier, chained on the other side to a soldier. And here's Peter, sound asleep, so that when the angel comes in there, he doesn't just say, Peter. He has to strike him, like elbow him. Peter, wake up. He's in such a deep sleep. He's at such great peace. He had to kind of raise Peter up. I mean, Peter's there sawing logs. Why? How is Peter able to do this? I believe Peter is just resting on the promises of God. I think we would have a lot less sleepless nights if we knew the Word of God, believed the Word of God, 
stood on the promises of the Word of God. But for whatever reason, here is Peter. He's asleep. And this angel says, all right, now, get up. And then he says, now, get up. He has to tell him everything to do. Put on your, put on your shoes. Put, put on your clothes. Gird yourself up. If you have the King James Version, that's always a good word. Gird yourself up. And, and then the chains fall off, and he rises, and he gets dressed. And they start to walk past one guard, two guards. Everybody else is evidently asleep or just blinded or in a stupor, whatever happened to them. And then they come to this huge iron gate. I mean, a big iron gate. Now, remember, this is a prison. This is maximum security. This is a fortress. So those gates, kind of, they just kind of like have an electric eye, you know, that we might have today. You just wave and, you know. I love doors that open up that you don't have to push open. And, and kind of like an electric eye, this, this, they just opened up. Peter and the angel walk right out. Now, the answer, now the answer to their prayer kind of comes, well, late in the game, kind of late at night, kind of last minute. However, God was not late. He was on time. Don't you panic. Don't you panic. God will show up. And, and it was leisurely. God's movement, movement in Peter's life was not a hurried, frantic, chaotic, Type of thing, God moves in majesty wherever he walks. But I want to tell you something. God's movement here in Peter's life was also limited. The interesting thing here is that those iron gates opened by the hand of God. But when Peter got outside those iron gates, when he finally came to, realized it was not just a dream, it was really happening, what must I do? Well, where will I go? Well, he said, I'm going to go to that prayer meeting. I, I know that they're praying over at Mary's house, John Mark, Mark's mom. Over at her house, they were having a prayer meeting. So Peter goes there, goes right up to the door, and does the only thing he can do. God's done his part. Pretty miraculous. Peter starts doing his. He starts knocking on that door. He starts knocking on that door. And they have a, a young maid, I believe uh, her name's Rhoda or something like that, and, and she goes to the door, she looks out, and, <laughs> oh, my goodness. And she goes running back to the people and says, would you imagine this? Peter's at the door. And they just, you know, kind of, you know, stop praying and so forth. What, what are you talking about? Uh, Peter's at the door. Oh, that must be his ghost. Oh, you must have seen, you must have seen his angel. And she goes running back. Is, Peter, is that really you? Yep, it's really me. Open up. And she goes back and says, it's really him. He's got red knuckles, you know, going. He's been beating on that door, and he's knocking. Well, the red knuckles is in the Bible, but it's, it's in the original Greek. Uh, <laughs> but he's, he's knocking over there. He's, he's praying, and the point is this. God is not going to do for you what you can and should do for yourself. God works with us up to a point and gets us where we need to be. Peter could have never opened those iron gates, those chains. They were tight around his wrist. They just fell off. He couldn't do anything about that. Those 16 soldiers, any one of them, could have used their sword and executed Peter on the spot. Only God can do that. But when he got to that wooden door, he did what he could. Now, prayer is no substitute for common sense. 
It's no substitute for labor. It's no substitute for work. Jesus said, told, told the guys at Lazarus' tomb, roll away that stone. Well, we can do that. Come on, guys. They rolled away the stone, but they could not raise Lazarus. They couldn't raise Only Jesus could do that. Friend, Peter had opened that iron gate, but they, they could have opened a wooden door. And they did so. God does not do for us what we ought to do for ourselves. But we can never do for ourselves what God alone can do. And when we began to merge prayer with obedience and common sense, then God begins to work. There's no cheap way. There's no easy way. There's no lazy way to build a church. There's power in prayer. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we come to you now just imploring you, asking of you to deepen our prayer walk with you. Father, I pray that for all of us who are here, that you would tell us where we are in our prayer life. Now, maybe it's not something we want to hear. Most of us don't like criticism. But when it's coming from you, God, we'll see it as conviction. Embolden our prayer life. Give us a mind that's focused and clear so that we may concentrate totally upon you, even if it's just five minutes of prayer. Help us not to give up on one another in prayer. Help us not to give up on this church in prayer. Father, we pray to you right now. We implore you with passion, with fervency, with a fellowship of believers here, Lord. We pray to you. Help us, Lord, to learn to be specific in our prayers. Lord, this could be the first day of renewing our prayer life, not just here at church, but at home and everywhere we go. Help us, Lord, to know that we're free because of what Jesus did on the cross. Lord, we're free to pray. Not just at certain times of the day. We're free to pray all day and every day. Help us to take advantage of that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. We come now to our time of invitation. It will be a brief time, but I want you to take advantage. Some of you are going to want to come to the front. You're going to, you're going to want to kneel here because God is impressing upon your heart to change your prayer life, to improve your prayer life. He's given you some good tips of uh, uh, things that you can do, some ways that you can start right now, right here, right today. Bill is here, and I'll be here to, to pray with any one of you if you want to come to Christ. You want to say, man, I, I want to enjoy a prayer life like that, but I don't have the inner power. And it's because you need to accept Jesus into your life. We'll tell you how to do that. Whatever it is, what, whatever kind of business...